Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. That was Larry Locke Williams 
giving us a little education through rap, and I say, however, you can meet the meet the young ones by all means, meet them where they are, so you can help guide them to where they need to be. And this brother decided to do it through rap music. And speaking of rap music, I want to give a big shout out to Brian Massey, who has a similar program. Uh, Larry Loke Henderson is back in Brooklyn, New York, hails from my hometown. But Brother Massey is right here in my adopted city of Las Vegas, and he has a a youth program for children called Educated Thugs. And when I first heard it, I was kind of taken aback, but then after he explained it to me, he said, I'm meeting them where they are, and I'm bringing it to them how they can understand it. Ultimately, they're gaining the knowledge. And so I thought, brother, I can support that. So big shout out to Brian. Uh, also, a brother getting married and going on a, a honeymoon vacation, putting all his business out there like that. But marriage is the foundation of power in any community. So, brother, thank you for being powerful. Well, my name is Rodney Smith. I am in the air chair solo today as my co-host, Mrs. Angela Thomas, is still out taking care of her king. The title of our show today is Civil Rights and Independence Day. Civil Rights and Independence Day. And yes, I picked that title for a reason. But before we get into the show, let me give you a little information about Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our community in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and some near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission is to help bridge the cultural and ethnic divide in America by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. And we go about it by having shows like Our Own Voices Live. Of course, Our Own Voices Live is a spinoff of Our Own Voices, the print and digital magazine right here in, of all places, Las Vegas. And what we try to do is share the African-American culture with other Americans as we learn their culture because usually it is our differences that separate us. But maybe when we talk about how we grew up, how our grandparents grew up, who they were, where they were, we find out that we have more things in common. So we have to talk with one another. We have to be willing to set aside our differences and then focus on what we have in common. And I guarantee you, when we do that, not if, when we do that, as a nation, we become closer, and as a people, we become better. So that gives you some ideas about Our Own Voices Live. Of course, we do a weekly gathering at the Westside Bistro located at 710 West Lake Mead Boulevard in North Las Vegas. And that's an opportunity, again, for people to come together from the community as well as outside the community, rich, poor, religious, atheist, agnostic, red, white, black, brown. Matter of fact, if we could bring some of our alien brothers and sisters in, we'll take the green ones too because we all have something in common. It is just a matter of do we have the will to look past our differences and towards what we have in common. Well, I can go on and on because that is something that I believe in. It is something that I believe that has been proven. And America, the fact that it is here, 
is a testament to the potential of it, though we have not lived that potential. As a matter of fact, had we lived that potential always here in America, there would not have been a need for the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That's right, 1964, not 1965. And it was signed into law in July 2nd of 1964. So we're talking tomorrow. So roughly, what is, this is, that was signed in 64. This, so we're talking about 53 years ago. 53 years ago. If I got my math right, somebody check me. 53 years ago, this was the last night in America before the dawn of America, before the sun truly rose on America and the Constitution in which created it. And it's just a coincidence, but just a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was on the 21st of June, was the anniversary of the signing of the United States Constitution. So, pretty close. And I wanted to do this show this weekend, one, because Independence Day is right around the corner. This is the anniversary of the signing of the Civil Rights Act. But because America, as the a nation of free people, was a lie up until this was signed. Now, even after this was signed, It was not a whole truth, but it was much more of the truth, much closer to the truth. Because Jim Crow laws that went into place kept a segment of the American population who had been given and and, and that's that's an odd word for me to even say when I say given were given their freedom because under that tuition, it said that it was the inalienable rights of all men. So in other words, it was not something that was given to you by man. It was something that you inherited simply by being. But our United States Constitution For some reason, those people who use such lofty language to craft what some people call the greatest freedom document of them all, somehow with all of the rhetoric about freedom, tyranny, oppression, these are all words that the founding fathers used, whether we're talking Thomas Paine, Alexander Hamilton. I mean, you go down the list, George Washington, But as they were willing to fight for their freedom from literally people who look like them, which should have given us a clue, because if people who look like them were taking their freedom away, then maybe it would be easier for them to take other people's freedom away because they took their own. But that Constitution that they signed just had an anniversary two weeks ago. It gave freedom, and it said it was the inalienable right. But in that same document, the way that they got around it, and it wasn't specifically for that, but ultimately that's what it became, was the three-fifths compromise. 
we were not whole humans. If, I mean, I don't know how you can not be a whole human. Are you human and something else? Because if you're three-fifths of a human, what is the other two-fifths? And doesn't the three-fifths make you human, whether it's three-fifths? I mean, I think it's a terrible argument even to try to put some logic to. But that was the extent that they went to when they founded this country to keep black people, Africans at the time, oppressed. And there was a famous speech given by Frederick Douglass, I want to say it was in 1854. Somebody fact check me on that, and it's okay. And in that speech, Frederick Douglass, one of his phrases was, do you mock me? In other words, why are you asking me, a black man, not an American man, not even a whole man, because at the time he was still three-fifths. Remember, this was before the Civil War ended. Actually, it was before the Civil War. But they asked him to, to deliver a speech on Independence Day, a man who was born circa 1819. As a matter of fact, he was born Frederick Bailey. Uh, he, he was part, you know, you could, I guess technically you could say he was a mulatto. His mother actually lived in a in a shack at the edge of the plantation, at the edge of the woods, and, until until he died, until she died, took him away. But this man who was born a slave, who was not allowed legally to learn how to read and write, ultimately becoming one of the greatest orators in the history of this country and one of the greatest orators in the world. But this man who was born a slave, who was whipped, beaten, eventually escaped, went up north, had a bounty on his head, had to leave the country, was welcomed in England. As a matter of fact, there's a bus in Ireland in honor of Frederick Douglass to this day. Have you ever wondered why so many African Americans have the name of McGee, McNeil, McDonald. Have you ever wondered that? It was because Irish and blacks oftentimes were in servitude together, but also the Irish really didn't, you know, there was a lot of them, blacks and Irish, hey, you if you're being oppressed together, why can't you procreate together? So these people in Europe embraced this man, and he talked about abolition. And abolition is basically talking, or people who are for, uh, who are not for slavery, for the abolishment. Frederick Douglass was an abolitionist. Whites were abolitionists. John Brown was an abolitionist. But this thing this lack of freedom that was supposed to be an inalienable right that with the advent of the 13th, 14th Amendment after the Civil War gave these Africans, because they weren't Americans, they were Africans. Remember, they only considered three-fifths of the people. And it also gave them their two-fifths back. Now, when I talk about this giving thing, 
again, it's sort of, as I say the words, my mind and my mouth are a little disjointed because if you are a man, a human being, that document called the United States Constitution said it was an alien right, so it shouldn't have been given to you. I reject right now the thought that it was given. No, it was something that was held back, but it could, cannot be given because it is already mine to have if we believed in the United States Constitution. So these people who now were released from bondage and who had an opportunity to exercise their inalienable right like other Americans with the signing at the end of the Civil War. But a strange thing happened. The losers were the Southerners, the Confederates. Now, the Confederates, many of them, believe it or not, didn't want the Civil War, would have preferred to have released the slaves. Not all by any means. And I'm not saying that they liked the black people. But they understood, one, some of them were abolitionists. Two, some, they were business people. And they understood what would happen if there were blockades to their ports, to their towns. Commerce would cease. And slavery was about commerce. What good is it to have all of this cotton if you're not able to move it, right? So you had these folks who were against this. But then you had a lot of the, of the Confederates, a lot of the folks in the South who were for it. Once the war was over, that didn't mean that the people's mindset flipped overnight. As a matter of fact, they didn't flip over years. Some would say they still haven't flipped after over 100 years. Because the war ended, I believe it was April 13th, 1865. The war was over. The Union soldiers were in the South. The purpose of the Union soldiers being in the South was to enforce the freedom of the black people, the new Americans. As a matter of fact, you can call, if you want to call me a new American, that, that's fine. I'll accept that because I am a new American, right? So everything was supposed to get better, you would think. But, oh, no. We had something called the compromise that happened with the election of Rutherford B. Hayes. The South were gaining power again. And see, the reason why we were three-fifths people, because we were the property of the South, and if the South counted the black people their slaves that they owned as property, then that would give the South an overwhelming number of votes in Congress. And because a slave had to vote as his slave master, notice I said master, not mistress, as his slave master, then come time for a congressional vote on anything dealing with what they considered important, the South would have an overwhelming majority if you included the slaves. So believe it or not, it was not the South that supported 
this, this three-fifths compromise. This was something that was bargained and ultimately won actually by the North because the North did not want the South to be able to outvote them every time. And they also knew that it would maintain slavery that much longer. So when we look back at it, at first we say how terrible it was to be three-fifths, and it was. But at the same time, it was a slow crawl to greater freedoms of the African. And ultimately, it led to the Civil War. I guess where I'm trying to take this is that we know that the people in the South didn't want to give up their slaves. We know after they, so much so that they were willing to secede from this nation with South Carolina being that first state. When that happened and the war ensued and then the South lost, they didn't like the Union soldiers because the Union soldiers decimated the land because they didn't want to give the South a chance. They wanted to ensure that when they went, they won, it was a complete victory. A lot of people in the South sent their, well, their, their young people, their men, and they never came back home. There were some people who took the farms of some of those folks who didn't come back home, and these were other Southerners, not just people from the North. There were a lot of widows now. But the war was over, so you would think, and then with the signing of, of the, of the uh, amendments, 14th, 15th amendments, 13th amendment, that everything was going to be better. But immediately after the war, you had the creation of the Klu- Knights of the Ku Klux Klan and other groups. It wasn't just them, and other groups. And they were terrorist groups. And they were designed to keep the black people oppressed. And black people, some of them, wound up inheriting the land that they had been enslaved on or worked to buy land in the South. And they were gaining power. As a matter of fact, ultimately, some of them even won elected office. And they did it in the South first, not the North, where they were already free. But just to give you some context on the North, New York, state was the largest slave-holding state in that young country, New York State, and later Mississippi. Just to, you know, give you an, you know, let's be clear, it wasn't like everybody loved black people in the North. There were slaves there, too. But when this, when this happened, Grant and Lincoln and we'll start with Lincoln, uh, Lincoln first, knew that he had to keep the Union soldiers in the South so that the blacks would have an opportunity to gain a stronghold of freedom in what really was a new country. And as much as we give Lincoln credit, there's one area, you know, there always has to be something, right? But there's one area that Lincoln could have done a favor to all of us to this day. And and I've debated this with myself, and I'm going to share it with you now. Lincoln should have had a new constitution. Instead of amending 
the Constitution. Maybe Lincoln should have just created a whole new Constitution that totally got rid of slavery. Now, I know some people will say that that's like a race in history. Well, I mean, it would still be in the history books. But to have it in our freedom papers seems a little odd. But nevertheless, it's there. So these new Americans with this freedom, and they basically had all the same rights as any other American. One of the things that, that, that Lincoln did was he created the Freedmen's Bureau. And the Freedmen's Bureau helped basically repatriate families. The men who were sold off, it helped them find their families. Sometimes they would be given a second family, so they would, well, believe it or not, some of the men sort of were polygamists, not legally, but they would have two families because they were given families, right? Because they believed in family, Lincoln set up this, and not just because they believed in family, but because he knew it was important. Lincoln set up the Freedmen's Bureau that would help these uh, former slaves uh, reunite with their families. Believe it or not, it also provided health care. So you can say that Lincoln was, who was a Republican, matter of fact, the sort of the founder, the father of the Republican Party. You, and you often hear Republicans refer to Lincoln. But Lincoln did what some people call today a socialist thing, which we should just rid ourselves of some of these labels. But he knew that these people needed help, so he set up the Freedmen's Bureau, and the Freedmen's Bureau, it provided free health care. It also provided a certain amount of job training and American training. He created schools that were free for these new Americans. Not only did he do that, but he also gave, you know, like I said, some job training, help placement help place these people to work. He and, believe it or not, Robert E. Lee knew that for black people to have a fighting chance in this country, that they were going to need to be educated, they were going to need to be healthy, they were going to need to have employment, they were going to need protection from the Klan Confederate sympathizers. And that was a part of the troops being in the South. But those Southerners didn't like the troops in the South. And eventually, and, and Grant, when he was elected, he kept enforcing it. And believe it or not, black people, these new Americans, they, when I say they were thriving, it does not mean all of a sudden they were all walking around with new duds on and the latest fashion from Paris in big plantation houses. No. But what I am saying is that they became educated almost like overnight. They had a hunger for education, to read, to write that was formerly against the law, that was no longer against the law. Fisk University, Howard University, all of a sudden these universities, what we call HBCUs today, historically black colleges and universities, often part of the land-grant provisions that came about, uh, partially due to this Freedmen's Bureau. And these, these were, believe it or not, some of the schools were named after white people. Schools were named after oftentimes the white people that ensured that the schools were built. Maybe they were the first school administrators. 
and they made sure that black people went attended these schools. This is back in eight in the eighteen hundreds, in the early eighteen eighteen seventies, eighteen eighties. But with the advent, so now black people are free, right? And then we just had Juneteenth, which was June nineteenth. Juneteenth is a portmanteau of June and nineteenth. Juneteenth. So on June 19th of 1865, the Civil War is over. The blacks have been notified. Remember President Lincoln in 1862, September 22nd of 1862, signed the Emancipation Proclamation that went into effect January 1st of 1863. But here's another thing. When Lincoln became president in the District of Columbia, did you know that he freed the slaves in the district? That's right. Lincoln immediately freed the slaves who were in the District of Columbia. That's where he resided. That's where the White House, the symbol of freedom. And then in 1862, he signed the Emancipation Proclamation of the slaveholding states, with a couple of exceptions. When in effect in 1863, we had the Civil War. Well, the Civil War is already in effect. Nevada came into the Union to ensure that Lincoln would have enough electoral votes. And also Nevada played a pivotal role because it became battle-born, that's the name, because it was born in battle, but it also provided its silver mine with the Comstock load to fund the war. And had it not been for that, maybe Lincoln would have lost. But Nevada came into the Union, he got the money, he was able to fund the war, the North won, he got assassinated shortly after the war is over. We got Johnson, who became the president, who was somewhat sympathetic to the South. And through lobbying him, weakened some of the provisions that Lincoln had set up. Then we got Grant, our 18th president. And Grant, Congress was waffling a little bit. But Grant was president, and he, he had been the former command of the armies, believe it or not, I think he was only a two-star general. I think that was the highest he can go back then. But Grant kept the troops in the South. There was more pressure from the South to get rid of the troops. Grant kept the troops in the South. Once Grant was out of office, we got Rutherford B. Hayes. Through the Great Compromise, because of the whole Electoral College thing, this is the importance of voting, Right? Don't let anybody fool you. So then Jim Crow started, Jim Crow laws. Supposedly we had the right to vote. Now you still sort of had the right to vote, but you had tests. And in some places you simply couldn't vote. You had the Night Riders, known as the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, that would terrorize not only blacks, but also sympathetic whites. Kill them, hang them. Tar and feather them, castrate them, draw and quarter them. Horrible acts to keep people to vote because they knew how important the vote was. They knew how important the vote was since the signing of the United States Constitution. Remember the three-fifths people thing I told you about so that the South couldn't have an overwhelming majority of votes? That's how important the vote has been 
since just before we were a country and since we've been a country. So don't let anybody fool you and tell you, oh, that the vote's not that important. Yes, it was important enough to make us three-fifths people. If, if you think of nothing else, remember that. And remember how much difference it would have been if the South would have had our votes. Again, once Jim Crow kicked in and these, these uh, slave codes, blue laws, were quasi-free. In other words, you could walk the street, but, you know, they had vagrancy laws, so it couldn't be too many of you together. You couldn't sort of congregate in one place too long. If you were a basketball team, you, you, you know, you go to jail for vagrancy, and then you just became slaves all over again to the same plantation owners. The police force, formerly, formerly the slave catchers, they performing the same duties then. Some people argue they're doing it today. History is important. But in 1964, things changed. See, I grew up in Jim Crow. And for people who say that things have not changed, I know immediately that those people did not grow up during Jim Crow. I know immediately that if they did grow up during Jim Crow and they say that they haven't changed, then they must not be from the South. Because I can tell you, Living today is a lot different from living during Jim Crow before the Civil Rights Act was passed. A simple thing, during the Great Migration, my mother moved me to New York City, originally from the swamps of Carolina, just above Myrtle Beach in South Carolina. We were slaves on the plantation in South Carolina. The difference is as a little boy, I probably didn't know what the color of white people's eyes were because I was not allowed to look a white man in the eyes. That's right. I, Rodney Smith, was not allowed to look a white man in the eyes. It was considered disrespectful. I can be beat down, killed. I'm using air quotes, you can't see me, for disrespecting a white man. I did not speak to a white man unless the white man spoke to me. And if I did somehow have a need to speak to him before he spoke of me, spoke to me, I better say I beg your pardon. That was Jim Crow. And if you ever traveled from the north to the south or the south to the north and you had to go to the bathroom, there was only certain places you could stop and go to the bathroom. That's Jim Crow. So when people say, oh, well, when desegregation was the worst thing that ever happened to us, I, I differ with them greatly. Desegregation needed to happen. Now, how it was administered and what we did with it, that's a whole different story, and we can talk about that on another show. But it needed to happen because if we're going to participate in this country, and because we're not going to Africa. I mean, some, there was some who went to Liberia, Monrovia, right? But if you're ready to go, Marcus Garvey had a plan for you, and feel free, there's plenty to go there now. So we're here. And because we're here, we are here, we have to participate in this. 
And I know people say, ah, we need to tear it down and build something new. Well, I'll tell you what. I don't know if you've ever been in a house and tore your own house down and didn't have another house to stay in. And then you didn't know how to build a house, so you never built a house before. You have to go try to build this house. It's not that easy. So, no, I'm not tearing nothing down without having something else to replace it. And it does need some, you know, there's definitely some tweaking that needs to be done. So when the Civil Rights Act came, and I want to read to you what the Civil Rights Act, because I tried to give you a little snippet of what life was like. You know, you had the equal but separate schools, and some people argue that, well, the schools were actually better. No, they weren't better. Sometimes you didn't even have books. And if you did have books, the books were so old, the information may not have been relevant. I remember the pages being ripped out. My brothers desegregated the schools. Heck, even when I went to New York in the 70s, schools were still, well, actually in the uh, mid-60s, schools were still being desegregated. In the 70s, when I went to high school, we were still desegregating schools. So it was not separate but equal. It was separate and it was unequal. The way people, you know, the way people talk to you, the places that you could go and when you can go there. How many of you heard of the sundowning laws? Better be out of town by nightfall, because if not, there's a rope in a tree waiting for you. Do you all know that Oregon was supposed to be a safe haven for white people. It was the all-white state. Idaho had sundowning laws, I think, up until probably the 70s, maybe even the 80s. Not too many black people in Idaho today, but it does have a rich black history there, though, and uh, I believe it's outside of Pocatello or in Pocatello. You'd be surprised. So, people could, we just had the anniversary of Black Wall Street. I think it was like the 94th, 95th anniversary. We just had the anniversary on uh, the end of June. And what happened to Black Wall Street was basically due to Jim Crow is that the white people there were able to massacre black people. And no one was ever charged because it was okay to kill black people. It's sort of like cops killing black people today, but different. That's why we have to constantly keep our foot on the accelerator pedal of freedom and never let up because what once will, what once was will be let up. We have to constantly strive. Frederick Douglass told us that and many more. So, I want to read to you I want to read to you a part of what the Civil Rights Act did and you can see it on the page. And what it says is that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and then it gives you specifics enacted on July 7th, so tomorrow. So just go back those years and when they woke up that day those black people. Matter of fact, that was in my lifetime. I went to sleep one day as a Negro, and I woke up the next day, and I had rights that I didn't have before. So it's not that long ago. But on July 2nd, 1964, 
a landmark civil rights and U.S. labor law. And I want to put emphasis on that labor law because they didn't have to hire you. They could, they could discriminate on hiring you. Part of the protest, and I tried to put some of the pictures up on the show page, is people said, hey, we need some work, and we need, we need fair pay for our work. They were treated like illegal immigrants are treated today. In other words, yeah, we may give you work, but if we give you work, we may not give you the benefit that you should have. And not only may I not give you the benefit, but I'll work you how I work you, and you have no rights. Well, that was what life was like. So the Civil Rights Act, it undid all of that, and it, it paved the way for a lot of other rights associated with black people. But I've all, I, I tell people, we are the harbingers of things to come, both good and bad in America. And I say that because if you look back at the history, the former abolitionists, and this is for the ladies out there, the former abolitionists, after the Civil War was over, those listeners became the founder of, at the time, the woman suffrage movement. So they did that. Slaves are now free. Now we're going to turn our attention to women because women couldn't vote. And they didn't have the same rights as men. As a matter of fact, poor white people couldn't vote. But once black people got the vote, right, in the Civil War, once black people got the right to vote, they had to give the poor white people the right to vote because you could not have the lowly black people voting and some white people not voting. So when black people get things in America, it paves the way for other people to get things. As painful as it was for some people to say even a black man got elected president before a white woman. Well, I'm not saying that it has to be this way. But what I can tell you is because a black man got elected president of the United States of America, as in history with so many other things, it has added a stepping stone where women will become president of the United States of America. A brief station ID. This is Rodney Smith. I'm in the air chair today. You're listening to Our Own Voices Live, and the topic of our show today is the Civil Rights Act. And Independence Day And what I've discussed Is how things were That Led up to the Civil Rights Act And why it was important How things were In this country Prior to that Why certain things needed to happen That led to this And why it is important for black people In America To continue To get the Fulfillment of what the Constitution guarantees all men, and men being a general topic for men and women. You see, when we get it, women get it. When women get it, the Native Americans get it. The Mexicanos get it. The Asians get it. 
when we get the right to vote, others get the right to vote. When we get the right to an education, others get the right to an education. Because remember, America was somewhat of an equal opportunity discriminator. Who who were rich, and this may sound familiar to the day, and we talk about the 1% and the 99. The people who were rich, they were the shot callers. Everybody else, you know, they were given something, and it was more than what they had. Because, you know, if you come from a place where there is not enough food, and you come to America where there's food, you walk and you get hit in the head with an apple. It was a, it was a place of plenty. We were the cornucopia of the of the earth, and really, we still are. Even though we do, we abuse the land. So, with all of this that is available to us. When black people get it, it paves the way for others. So really, other groups should celebrate when black people achieve in America because historically it opens up opportunities for other people. And the Civil Rights Act was no different. As a matter of fact, if you look at Title IX, all of this was sort of came about because of what happened with the gains of black people. So really, if you are any oppressed group in America, you should cheer for black people to get the fulfillment, the totality of what the Constitution guarantees all, because once we get it, we break ground for you to have it. We become another step, another rung on the ladder for others to move up. Now, all too often, we become the bottom step. And we, we don't get to move up as much. People step on our backs. They stand on our shoulders. And we're at the base. Well, see, America is supposed to be a level playing field. So when I hear people talk about how much they have and how much they've been able to achieve here, Sometimes I want to remind them that if it wasn't for us, they wouldn't have it. Remember what I said at the beginning about the Irish? They were persecuted in this country. They were hung too. And then remember Italians, Italianos, especially from southern Italy, but in general? Did you know that they were classified as Negro? So if you were classified as Negro before the Civil Rights Act, you couldn't vote. Not openly, not freely. You could be hung. You could be tarred and feathered. You could be drawn and quartered. You could be raped, male or female, with no recourse under the law. Because most killings and hangings, there no one was ever punished for it because it was just black people. Italians had to petition to be considered Caucasian. As a matter of fact, if you talk to older Italians today, some of them will still tell you that, yeah, I'm Italian, but I'm I'm also African-American. And a lot of African-Americans 
they today they have an issue with that, mainly because they don't know the history. History is important. You know, when you're in school at foot stop, the teacher say if you say it more than once, well, I just said that history is important because Italians and black people have a lot of similarities in America. They were both oppressed, especially Sicilians. But once they petitioned to be no longer considered Negro, that opened up some of the wealth more freely available to them than now. But the Negro was still the Negro. And even when we became African Americans, they found a word that they could call us, that they've been calling us, and as Dr. King would say, it was an ugly word. And that's that N-word that I refuse to call a brother or sister, or for that matter, anyone else, because it's the words of our oppressor to oppress us. And if they can convince us to use the word on ourselves, no matter what we may call it, it still has the same effect because they're the ones in power and they're the ones who will still see us as that. As a matter of fact, they will ridicule us because we do it to ourselves. And because we do it to ourselves, it justifies them doing it. And if they're not able to do it openly, it justifies their thought of us. You see how that works? So as we come up to July 2nd, for the signing of the Civil Rights Act right before Independence Day, right after Jubilee Day, Jubilee Day being Black Independence Day with Juneteenth. Somebody says, well, why don't we have fireworks and stuff for Juneteenth, since that's when our true independence is. And I say, well, why don't you? Because there's nothing stopping you. That's on us. If, if that's what you want to do. I'm a veteran. I'm good with not hearing fireworks. As a matter of fact, I try not to go outside. I usually stay in my room, try to turn the TV up loud. It it it, it has an, an effect on me. I'm going to get a sign that says veteran lives here. That's right. I fought for this country. Even though I grew up as a Negro without full rights for this country. Did you know that Native Americans honor the flag? Because it's not the flag. It's what it represents. It's not just the Constitution. It's what it represents. And the things in general that it represents, though it didn't always fulfill it, if you just read it and if you take away some of the other things, it's a lofty document. Dr. King even says he wasn't trying to get rid of the Constitution. He was trying to bring alive the words that was on the pages for everybody, including the black man and the black woman. Well, if it's good enough for Dr. King, it's good enough for me, but it really is just good. So the Constitution, yes, yes, I celebrate the 4th of July. I also celebrate Juneteenth because that Juneteenth is my day, and that Juneteenth was a part of America fulfilling what was on the document that men chose not to do. Just like today, our police kill us. And the way the laws are written and then administered by people like them, they get off for it. Not voting and participating in the system that we fought hard for with the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act helps us to overcome these things. And we need to overcome them. You see, the system can be beat. 
you have to know the system and you have to use the system. Either you work the system or be worked by the system. Independence Day for the nation is in a couple of days. Independence Day for black people is tomorrow. So it's an independence within an independence within an independence because we needed Jubilee Day. Slavery was over. So that's sort of our freedom. Then we needed the signing of the Civil Rights Act to get rid of the Jim Crow laws that undid the freedom that we received after the Civil War. And see, that should be a lesson to us why we have to constantly keep our foot on the accelerator of freedom. Because laws, if they're written and given, they can be taken away. And that's why some of the things in the Constitution, like the Voting Rights Act, it's not permanent, temporary. And remember it says inalienable rights? See, those are things that we can fight for. We shouldn't have to fight for it, and I'm not justifying the fact that we have to fight for it, but it is the reality, and we live in reality. And if there's something that's important to us, then we should be willing to fight for it. Frederick Douglass told us that. As a matter of fact, Frederick Douglass, Douglass told us our freedom rested on what? He said the ballot box, the jury box, and the cartridge box. To use the local vernacular of some, Frederick was no punk. Malcolm talked about the ballot and the bullet. Now, I don't know if Malcolm got it from Frederick, but before there was a Malcolm, there was a Frederick. Before there was a Malcolm, there was a Martin, the most controversial man in America in his day. Yeah, that's right. Regardless of what you may hear some of our Hotep brothers, our conscious community say, they read history and know it for yourself. Frederick Douglass says, our freedom rest in the ballot box, the jury box, or the cartridge box. So what that tells me is we need to vote. We have to participate. Because when you don't vote, here's the thing. If black people stop voting, and we can do that. Nope, I'm not voting today. Somebody's voting. And if you say that all the white people are bad, then it's our vote that has kept them in check, right? I mean, that, that's reasonable to say. Well, if, then if we don't vote, what's keeping them in check? Have you thought about that? And the people who are voting, hey, they can pass all kind of stuff. We're still subject to the laws that they vote for. Just because we didn't vote for it, the laws still have the same meaning and impact. I know I could say, well, people died for us to have these rights, and they did. Maybe some of you don't care, or maybe you say, well, that was them. It's a new day. This new day came about because of their sacrifice. So can you sacrifice and go and vote, let your voice be heard? Can you take the time to pick a candidate? Can you establish your own agenda so that people know what you want? Can we get rid of the division? 
in our community so we can speak with a single voice. You know, even in Dr. King's day, it wasn't a single voice, but there was consensus, even if everybody wasn't out on the streets marching and protesting. And marching and protesting played a role, but there was a lot of other things that were going on too. And a part of that was the politics. Suppose it wasn't Johnson who was in office. Maybe it was Johnson from the 1800s instead of Lyndon Beans Johnson. Because, see, isn't it interesting is how you had one Johnson almost 100 years apart from the other who put us in the situation and took those freedoms back that were supposed to be inalienable, that was naturally ours, inherently ours, but then it was a Johnson who reinstated them. But we got to keep our foot on the accelerator of freedom because maybe there'll be another Johnson or maybe his name will be Trump. Sessions, who knows who it will be. We have to stay ever vigilant. Coalition, we have to know history. We have to teach our children. And for our young revolutionaries out there, I I don't condemn them. But they needed guidance, and because they didn't get the guidance that they needed, they're misguided now in doing some things that are not beneficial. Now, luckily, they'll probably survive their mistake, and they will learn from an ill correctum, but I don't know if we have time. And that's just that much more work to be done. And the idea is not to go backwards. It's to constantly march forward with freedom. You see, when we went backwards, we got Jim Crow, and it lasted over 80 years. Some people say basically 100 years. So we're not going back. I'm not going back. Not in my lifetime. So Independence Day. Frederick Douglass, when he was asked to speak at Independence Day, and I believe it was, what, what did I say, 18... 54 or 1859 He thought he was being mocked Because there was no freedom But he constantly strived for it And what I'm asking us all Black, white, doesn't make a difference We have to constantly strive for it Maybe we do need to go back To teaching civics In our schools So that our young people Will know The fire that our freedoms today came from And remember the sacrifices That people went through And that should mean something to you Because there are babies born today They don't know anything There are children about to start school In August and September For the first time going to kindergarten And they're expecting And maybe they're not even expecting Because they don't have that cognizance But the reality is we will set and determine their life by the things that we do. Let us not lose sight on the history of us, where we are and how we got here, the struggles, the setbacks, the struggles, the setbacks, the struggles. But let us also keep our foot on the accelerator of freedom to keep moving forward. Let us keep our foot on the system so that the system doesn't put its foot on our neck. It's our choice. So, yes, 
tomorrow, I'm going to recognize the anniversary of the signing of the Civil Rights Act as an African-American, but also as an American citizen in the language of the Constitution is something that we should all celebrate, was that was when black people got more legal freedoms to bring the words of the Constitution alive for them. The minds of people did not change overnight. So it wasn't like by the time July 4th of 1964 rolled around that white people were no longer racist, that they were no longer prejudiced, that they were no longer biased, that they no longer feared us. Because what the police say today, and let's not get it twisted that it's not just police. It's just that it manifests itself in them and we can see it in them. But maybe white people are afraid of us. I know when I've talked to some white friends, they've said what they would do had what they did to us, we had done to them or somebody else. Maybe they're still afraid we're going to have that uprising. Maybe some of them still have the vestiges of their Confederate beliefs instilled in them from birth and through our racist, biased school curriculum and standards. You know, we send our children to American madrasas to teach them to be prejudiced and racist. That's on us, but we have to vote because the school board, the legislature, the feds determine how those schools will educate us. And right now, maybe we haven't done our part. We haven't done enough. Matter of fact, I'm saying we haven't done enough. We need to do more. We talk about how we're the only group of people that allow our former oppressors to educate us. Well, you have an opportunity to be an educator, become an educator. If there are barriers that are legal that are holding you back, then the laws are in such a way now that we can actually defeat those laws, but we have to be willing to put in the work. Should we have to do it? No, but it's the reality of today, and we live in reality not fantasy and fiction. So these things are there, but we're going to have to do like Frederick said and constantly strive and struggle to achieve them and to maintain them and then to exceed them. Who's ready to do that? I am. I live through the Jim Crow South. I'm not going back to having to use the green book. When you're on the plane, there's no place else to go. We have a choice. This is what we have. If you want to move to Africa, move to Africa. If you want to start another system, then by all means, start that system. But until we deal with this system, how can we deal with another system when this system is here? We live, I live in Nevada, Las Vegas. We can change the school system here. It's the fifth largest in the nation. We actually have enough votes to elect who we want on the school board. We have enough votes to control the legislature. As a matter of fact, our legislature is controlled by, well, Democrats, since the majority of black people are Democrats, and the leader of our state Senate and the Speaker of the House, they're both black men, black lawyers. So tell me, what, what, what is it that we're not able to do again and why? Maybe because we're not acting and we're acting in a uniform manner. Let's set the agenda. Let's use it to determine who we vote for. Oh, and by the way, 
we talk about how they're sellouts and they're bought and paid for. Well, I tell you, I announced that I'm forming a committee. It's a discovery committee to determine whether I can run for election. Now, here's the thing. I'm sure I can get money from white people. But can I get money from black people? And if I don't get money from black people, I only get money from white people and white businesses, will I therefore be a sellout because I got money from non-black people when the black people wouldn't give me the money? And see, here's the thing. You're not giving me the money because it's the money that I would use to get elected so that I can represent you because we're all in it together. You see, if you're going to play in America because there's a capitalist system, money is important and you need it. Politics is business and business is politics and you need money. So part of the discovery committee is the CA, the exploratory committee, is to say, can I get enough, not only do I get support from black people, but will I be able to fundraise, to buy signs, to hire some staff, to phone bank, to put gas in the car, to drive all these places, to go to all of these dinners, and, you know, everybody has a dinner, but you have to pay for those dinners. Did you know that? That's the system. I didn't say I liked it. I didn't create it, but that is the system. Until we have a better system, we have to get people into seats of power so that we can change it. And when we get into these seats of power, when we get into leadership positions in whatever business corporation job that it is, our flavor changes it. You see, if you have some milk, put some coffee in it, it changes it, doesn't it? It's interesting that as much as milk costs and as much as we need it for a food source, we probably drink more of it with coffee. That's us because we make everything better, right? We add the spice. What I'm saying to you is there's a system, there's a structure. And either we could be worked by it or we could learn to work it. And I'd say let's learn to work it because if our slave ancestors could come out of slavery and not know how to read and write and do so well during Reconstruction, then surely we can do more than what we're doing today. People say, well, we're not a monolithic community, Rodney. Well, we're black. That is a monolithic thing that we have in common. And because of it, we're treated a certain way. And if we want to get treated better, if we want to have opportunities, if we see and feel things because of who we are that other people don't. So, for an example, women say, why aren't we in there helping craft this health care legislation? Because there's things pertinent to women that aren't to men. So we need to be in there to ensure that we get represented and our needs get taken care of. Well, as a black person, I am a constituency group too, and it is important as an American so that all Americans can be represented that we are in there. And so I established a exploratory committee because, one, somebody has to do it. I have the time. I'm retired. I have the knowledge. I've been in the community, but if somebody else wants to do it and can do it, by all means, step up. Just to say, brothers, you need to step up, I just stepped. And I need you. Brothers, like Moses, I need Aaron. 
believe it or not, my campaign manager last time was Merritt. And boy, did he hold me up. I'll never forget that, brother, because he saw value in it. Running for office and trying to ensure that we enjoy the freedoms that this country supposedly guarantees us, it's not necessarily for me. It's not even for you that's listening. What it is for is for that young child who will start school for the first day this August and September. What it is for is that young person that's about to graduate from college with over $100,000 worth of debt but no job. What it is for is that baby yet born that has nothing to do with the situation that he or she is born into. But as they grow up, they will look at us to ensure that they have the things that they need to succeed in this country that's supposed to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. You know, when we look back at our slave ancestors, we think and marvel at how they were able to make it. When I look at the folks in Jim Crow, I think that even though they were slaves, they didn't go, oh, wow, I've been treated so bad, therefore I cannot do. They went out and they made it happen. During Jim Crow, so my mother struggled. But she went and got that high school diploma. She got that GED. This is still doing Jim Crow. You know, she was, because of the Civil Rights Act, laws had to be changed in hiring practices in government agencies. So you couldn't force private businesses to do it, but you could force government agencies now to have fair hiring practices for African Americans, for black people, you know, the new Americans. And then they established tests so that it wasn't subjective. If you passed the test and you had the degrees, then you got promoted. See, that's what the Civil Rights Act did for us. A lot of us, our parents are able to provide for us, and your parents are able to provide for you because of the Civil Rights Act and its legislation. So do not belittle the importance of politics your active participation in it, and what the laws are. No, they don't change hearts overnight. They don't change minds overnight. But they start because now people get to see you in positions that they didn't see you in before. And those children who were born, see, they don't have those things. They don't, they're not born prejudiced. Now, they may learn it at home, and then media reinforces it. And our madrasa education school systems teach it. But see, we got the power to change that too. But we have to exercise the power. Otherwise, it's just potential power and ultimately becomes a waste of power because we didn't use it. But we have to use it. We cannot expect others to do for us what we can do for ourselves. Frederick Douglass says that we should be leading the charge of change for ourselves. I'm paraphrasing. Let's start leading. Let's come up with what it is that we need. The way we can make America great, better, is by participating, and participating full-throated, by pressing the throttle all the way to the floor to advance these things. That's on us. So the title of our show today on Our Own Voices Live was the Civil Rights Act and Independence Day. I submit to you is what we make it. And if we don't make it, it will be what other people make it for them. You 
make your decision. And if you're one who decides you want to stand on the sidelines, then please don't get in my way. Please don't deter others from supporting what I'm trying to do. Because even though you may sit on the sidelines, whatever it is that I and others like me are able to achieve, you will reap the benefit. So if you cannot actively participate, then please don't get in the way. Because we are coming through. I know I am. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Our Own Voices Live today. Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday, or at least most. And we try to come on by 1230 today. We started at 1. We talked about the Civil Rights Act and Independence Day and the history behind them both and where we are today. I also made an announcement on air that I've established an exploratory committee to run for Congress because I'm a constituency group, too. And we need to be represented. doesn't mean we're against anybody. As a matter of fact, that means we're for the system. But we're going to make it better. We're going to change it. Thank you for listening today. If it was something of value, please uh, share it with someone else. And you can go to Our Own Voices Live on Facebook and leave us a comment about the show. I'd love to know what you think, pro or con, because I'd like to make it as best as I can and you know, when you're doing something solo, every little bit of help and sometimes criticism, as long as it's done in love and support, helps make it better. And I think our goal should always be to make us better. Sam Smith told me that we should always seek excellence. So if you're help, maybe I can get some of that excellence. So I see you with the last 46012. I don't know who you are, but thank you so much for listening today. And the others that just dropped off, thank you so much for listening today. Go to Our Own Voices Live and leave us a comment. This is Rodney Smith signing off in the air chair for Civil Rights Act and Independence Day. Celebrate Independence Day. It's your independence. Become as free as you can be and make yourself freer where you aren't. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.